At Alabama Power, we've been powering Birmingham for over 100 years. Since 1906, we've been reminded time and time again of what makes the Magic City so great. Our culture, our food, our music, and most importantly, our people, are why we remain dedicated to providing our customers and communities with reliable energy. And while we're certainly proud of everything the people of Birmingham and our state have been able to accomplish, we here at Alabama Power are even more excited about our shared future. Alabama Power, powering Alabama's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Dewana L. Thompson is a political and social strategist providing innovative and sustainable engagement methods and models for candidates, campaigns, and community organizations. She is the current president and CEO of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, a 30-year-old civil rights organization. An affiliate of the Smithsonian Institute, the BCRI, is a cultural and educational research center that promotes a comprehensive understanding of the significance of the civil rights developments in Birmingham. Dewana is also the founder of Woke Vote, an organization designed to engage, mobilize, and turn out African-American voters in the South. Through campus and faith-based outreach, strategic media outreach, culturally relevant GOTV efforts, and training for new organizers. Notably, the program has engaged over 2 million Black voters nationwide and has trained over 5,000 new leaders. Dewana recently launched Black Equity Strategies and Trust, a social serve a social su a southern social impact firm specializing in engagement strategy leadership development rapid response initiatives high end logistics and curating premium cultural experiences Dewana served as the National Deputy Director for Community Engagement and the National African American Engagement Director for the, Democrat, for the Democratic National Committee. With a focus on intentionality, Dewana worked with the DNC Black Caucus Chair and, nationally, and national allied organizations on key strategies to engage the AFAM community, both politically and socially. Dewana also carried the faith portfolio at the DNC, working to build bridges between principles of faith and principles of politics. Remind me of that. As a pre presidential appointee, Dewana was appointed by the Obama-Biden administration in 2015 to serve as senior advisor in the United States Small Business Administration. Within SBA's Office of Public Engagement, 
She worked to ensure the SBA's national and local stakeholders are fully comprised of the programs of the programs and resources offered by the SBA with a special emphasis on implementing strategic and system and systemic opportunities to increase access to lending and resources for minority and underserved communities. Dewana is a veteran political consultant, campaign manager and operative, and a former Hill staffer. Prior to joining the Obama administration, she worked as an independent political strategist, providing guidance to candidates for political office in Trinidad and Tobago, Alabama, Tennessee, and partnering with entities to produce successful public programs. Perhaps her most notable, having consulted with the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art, coordinating the international tribute honoring the life of Dr. Chinwa Achiba. Y'all got to forgive me. I just went and picked up my new glasses. <laughs> and I'm having hell reading. I should have worn my other glasses. And this long body, I can't believe you for to read this whole thing. Lord help Let me Jesus. tell you. I tell people all the time with long bios, mm-hmm. I want to read the whole thing. No, go ahead. It's me giving you your flowers. I appreciate that. Notably, she served as the program and logistics coordinator, Citizens Advisory Board Liaison for the Birmingham City Council from 2005 to 2010, providing program and logistical support to the nine-member council body and providing strategy and assistance to the Citizens Advisory Board composed of 99 neighborhood presidents and 23 community presidents. This is where she formalized her niche for engagement politics. From 2011 to 2014, Devana Dewana provided innovative ideas for internal and external marketing opportunities, serving as the national marketing manager for the Student National Medical Association, an 8,000-member organization hailed as the oldest and largest student-run national medical organization for students of color. Dewana received a BA in speech communication from Berea College, a master's certificate in effective project management, and is completing her capstone toward her master's degree from the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. 15 years plus of organizing for local, state, and federal and international political and social justice campaigns, Dewana's depth of experience is well acknowledged and applauded. She is the recipient 
of several honors, including being recognized by L, Glamour, and BET as one of the top black female leaders in 2020, being named one of the Alabama women who shaped the state in 2019, one of the top young professionals in the state of Alabama in 2015, recipient of the 2013 Outstanding Alumnus Award from Berea College, awarded a key to the city of Birmingham in 2010, bestowed honor as a Kentucky Colonel in 2008, and receiving the Coretta Scott King Leadership Award for Leadership in 2007. Thompson is a Dow Fellow with the prestigious Emerson Collective. She appears on she appeared on MSNBC, CNN, in Essence Magazine, The New York Times, and The Washington Post, among others, as a thought leader on race, politics, and social engagement strategy. Dewana L, what does the L stand for? <laughs> Lenise. Dewana Lenise Thompson. And that's something I don't really share at all. So you're getting an exclusive, Ivor. <laughs> Tell me a joke. <laughs> a joke. Okay. So yes. I, it's already going to be lame. Um, what is the difference between a northern fairy tale and a southern fairy tale? What? A northern fairy tale begins uh, once upon a time. A southern fairy tale, particularly in in the city of Birmingham, begins with y'all ain't gonna believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you right too. Right, we start a story completely different. Completely in the south. different. Right, we cover a different a different angle, and I love that about us. <laughs> Today, I asked my phone Siri, "Why am I single?" And it activated the front camera. Uh oh. <laughs> Look, Siri don't be playing no games on Siri this don't time, be okay? playing. You got to watch yourself with Siri. Let me tell you something. Yes. I am very intentional. And I've been saving this for years. I've been waiting for an opportunity. And as I developed this podcast, you're one of the first people I thought about mm-hmm. putting on. We've been talking about yeah, you coming have. on a long yeah. time. How long have you been one of the people? How long have you been like you are as far as I see you as intentional about your words, believing that words matter? You know, how long has that been a part of you? Man, probably as long as I can remember, really. Uh, my dad likes to say that I was a pretty serious child uh, and I think words because I love to read mm-hmm. and words would come alive for me I always just realized that they were powerful and so I think I've always been thoughtful of my words for a long time in terms of how my words impact others for a long time but um, I would say my, my entire career I've tried to be intentional around what I say but I'm very intentional around my integrity and my and my word. That's something that I, I think has been a part of my core for for a long time. Um, 
do you ever feel that you're reaffirmed, like you you know that you're doing the right thing, or is it just something part of you that you know is the right thing? No, I, I definitely feel that, particularly when I work with students, mm-hmm. when I work in communities that have been impacted by certain things, and I see the our work actually show or pr- create a space where they're able to change their own material conditions. Mm-hmm. To me, the work, you know, to me, the real sign of work, if it's it if it is an impact after you leave, right? Mm-hmm. After can it continue to move forward? And so when I'm able to see that, it reaffirms that, you know, some part of my strategy uh is adequate. Um but I also think remaining uh humble and and willing to learn and still sit at the feet of elders mm-hmm. also helps me to um to know that that I believe I'm on the right path as well as my faith, you know, in God. So I think those are the things that that affirm or reaffirm the idea of character and keeping your word and, you know, those kinds of things for me that I think are just like basic fundamental things that if we have as an individual, it should bleed into our professional work. Well, let me give you something that um, it's a little more significant, okay. if you will. On one of the worst days of my life. At a period I was going through, just, I was so depressed and sad. Mm. Um, I was invited to steal for an event that. Oh, steal. Okay. <laughs> That's that, a minute. Yeah. That, that um, you guys were doing. And. You know, I was so proud of you, but I didn't know that you even knew who I was. Okay. I had, yeah. I'm one of those type of people. I have I'm like, my, you've been around for I have my, <laughs> I know, but I have my eyes on people and I watch them. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. But I really didn't know, I didn't know if you knew me, right? Okay. In my depression, you said, Iva Williams is here. Y'all need to represent, y'all need to respect him and give him a hand. That action made me get up off the mat. Hmm. You did that for me. Wow. Your words mattered that day in a way that I'll forever thank you for. I appreciate it. I have wanted to tell you this. But I wanted to tell you in a special way, you got me up off the mat that day, and I changed everything, and I'm the man I am today, in part because you said I matter. Wow. I'm I'm honored, you know, to even hear that, and, and I'm a person that gets teary-eyed easily, so, you know, don't have me in here crying, but I... Uh, I, I'm grateful to be a conduit. I'm sure it's probably something that, you know, needed to be affirmed, you know, and we're vessels, right? So I, 
didn't know that, you know, I'm, I'm really shocked <laughs> to hear that, <laughs> but I, I'm honored and I'm humbled by that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for sharing it publicly. And um, I'm really glad. I mean, honestly, I'm really glad that, that that was your experience. And I think that we don't always get get it right. I'm sure that there might be somebody out there that I may have said something and it <laughs> created the worst day of their life, right? right. And, and not intentionally, but we're just human, right? We make mistakes and different things like that. But it does. I, I'm grateful that you shared that with me. And it's, it's, it's certainly something I cherish and I appreciate that. So when you look back and you have seen me be such a champion for you over the past <laughs> right? few years. I know. I'm like, oh, great. That's what it I, is. I so sure appreciate that. Like you, I definitely you, do. You, I was, yeah. you can't do no wrong as far as oh, I'm concerned. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I mean, I do believe in trying to give flowers, you know, while we can. And, and I didn't know that you were going through. I just do know that uh, to be visible, I think, particularly in a city like Birmingham, to be doing things that you think are innovative, perhaps it's out of season for others and they don't understand it. It, it definitely creates a target for many of us, myself included. And so I do try to be a friend and, and an ally to those who are uh, differently situated in our yeah. community. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I do think that it's, genius typically shows itself at some point. And I think that, uh, and we are all allowed to evolve. And I think, you know, have we always even, we haven't always agreed on every single thing. There's been times where I'm sure we're, you know, we've questioned different things. But I definitely think that we've always been on the side of trying to create spaces to be for people to be heard perspectives and all those kinds of things and I, I do appreciate your consistency in that space and um I'm glad that that, that we're here now who made you like you know Don and Janice Thompson yeah like I want to know I want to know about them I want to yeah. know if you have siblings yeah like what part of town you grew up in <laughs> What path took you to Ramsey? Like, oh wow! Tell yeah. me about like your church. Who? What oh, pastor? Yeah. Same church. You know what yeah, I'm saying? For sure. Like, I want to. I want to know. Yeah. So, parents are Donna Janice Thompson. My dad was a product of Jo, okay. uh, and my mom graduated from Parker, A. H. Okay. Parker, and uh, she went to. She was. Um, it's funny because I'm learning a lot about who they were as young people, even now. Right. And I laugh a lot because I'm like, "How? Did, <laughs> why did you tell me that a long time ago? Of course it makes sense now. Because you've my grown mom, enough right, to understand you know, that in even, their mind. But just even things like my mom worked on Richard Arrington's first campaign. And she just told me that, like, she really has probably been now, it's probably been like maybe six or seven years. But I feel but, like yeah. of all of the work I've done, you didn't think to you, tell me that when I was working for Barack Obama or anybody right. else. It's like it randomly came out one day. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know? And so I was actually telling uh, uh, Mayor Aaron to that story a couple a couple of years ago. And he was like, yeah, yo, he knew who she was. And I'm like, um, but... Primarily through the majority of my uh, growing up, my mom was a, a homemaker, a stay-at-home mother, and very much an educator in our home. She taught us all how to read before we went to school, how to do all kinds of things, you know. Um, and so, because she 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 actually graduated from UAB finally, uh, well, she started at Miles though, and she was like Miss UNCF, and she was AKA, you know, all this. My dad started with her uh, in the uh, at Miles, but he ended up going into the service, uh, uh, and uh, but they used to sing in a 
gospel choir called Echoes of Faith back in the day at UAB, which is where they uh, they started. Our church kind of came out of that choir, which is now what you know to be more than Conquerors Faith Church. Really? Steve Green and my parents are founding members of that church. We've been there my entire life. The church is 41. I'm 40. And so uh, I was born on a Sunday in March uh, <laughs> after church. And so, wow. um, and so that Because you been, were talking about yeah. your church um, when we were together. Yeah. What was that, Monday? Yeah, absolutely. You were mentioning yeah. the fact yeah. that um, Pastor, Pastor Green, Green was yeah. your pastor. My, has been my pastor for my entire, pretty much my entire life uh Dwayne Davis actually was our first pastor but uh, but they all came out of that and what's interesting about that because you asked me sort of where do I come from where does this you know just sort of what's informed me what's interesting and what people may not know about more than conquerors is that number one they were all like 19 20 21 when they started the church and they started the church because where they were going to church which was a a, a more traditional space as young people they desired sort of a different experience and wanted to, you know, have, you know, praise and worship and just different things that, you know, was kind of considered now everybody's doing it. Right, but at the time right. it was very much considered taboo. And they tried to Y'all around that acting like right, Kirk yeah, Franklin. Right, right. It was Kirk Franklin <laughs> in, in like eighty, right? Yeah. right. And so they the church that they were in at the time told them if you can't figure out how to get on our program, you need to leave and kick them out. And instead of going back, they started the church. Yes. And to me that's awesome. even in itself just sort of an idea around how, you know, things happen in our communities. You know, we, you know, there's a history there, a, a fighting spirit there, a activating spirit there that even was really and present. And now that's in one of the biggest mm, churches yeah, in the state. You know, you know, we love, you know, and I think, but at the core, always has been at the core is service. I mean, we've been doing public programming as a church. Our entire, I mean, we had no choice. What people had, so I actually grew up, technically I grew up on the east side. Most, like my, the, the the things I can think of the most, I went to, um, I went to our church school up until a certain time, but then we, uh, I went to Chalkville Elementary. So I, really on the east side. But okay. I tell people I really grew up on the west side because we was at church all the, all time, the time, right? And so yeah. really, we were, you know, from Long Avenue to Denison Avenue. I mean, from Long Avenue to Woodland Avenue to Denison Avenue. If you know anything about West End, that's that's all in the heart of West End. Right. That's really where, and even today, I was just there last night. You know, yeah. so I think you know, I grew that up in you know, so I know exactly. right around the corner. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? And so it just really that was uh, the the core of our ministry model was and still is a service model that, you know, you, there's something you can be doing, you know, to address issues and whether it's a small thing or a big thing, you need to figure out what that is. My parents was, you know, were just heavy on community, heavy on education, um, heavy on, uh, character. Uh, my dad's favorite words were focus and still are focus and purpose, um, and Were you that was an only just, child? No, I have three brothers. I have three younger brothers. They're, well, they're all, I mean, we're all over 30 now, but uh-huh. uh, I have no sisters, three brothers. I'm the oldest, and they will probably tell you I... I, I wasn't a bossy big sister, but I was, again, I was very serious. <laughs> I'm probably more, I mean, we joke about this now. I'm probably more cool and down to earth than I... At this age, at my big age, than I ever was as like twelve and thirteen. I, I was, can I yeah. have noticed you yeah. soften. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like I've noticed, like yeah. over the past yeah. few years, you've gotten yeah. a little looser. Yeah. yeah. I just I think part of it was, um, I really 
honestly, I took things very seriously. If you were to tell me something, you know, I remember a friend that I had at like nine or 10, uh, I was trying to figure out why she didn't want me to come spend a night at her house, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? Every time she would come to my house and spend a night, but she would not. She There was something there. And I, at 10, still not really having a development, you know, of understanding, I sure. knew something was going on. And so I finally kept saying, well, why are you afraid? And she, some kind of way, she, in her own way, communicated at the time she was staying in Cooper Green Projects. Uh-huh. And in her mind, when she would come to our house, which was a single family, you know, upstairs, downstairs, house or whatever, she just decided that 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 one was better than the other. Right. Not because we said that, not because we lived that. It was something that she had decided. And I think part of it was, you know, we had a, a guest room, you know, all that kind of stuff. And she was like, we don't even have that, you know. And I remember telling her, so when she finally did tell me, at 10, I said, girl, I will bring my own bed. I don't care nothing about that. And <laughs> true to my word, when she, her mom told, she remembered, she told me her mom told her, look, if this girl want to be your friend, she don't care anything about where you, you know, live. And she clearly wants to come. I brought my mom and I, we, we packed up, we had a little rollaway bed. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? That snap up and look. down. Did I not bring that bed over at the Cooper Green Project so I could have a spend the night party with my friend? Because I needed her to understand. I didn't care, right? And I think, I don't know. I've just always had that Can kind I of awareness. Yeah. People who want to change the world and who really think they can take shit serious. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's one thing so. to yeah. say it. Yeah. But yeah. see, we like souls. We went right. through a time where yeah. we were like, no, nah, we finna righteously right. change this. Right. And time is partly yeah. what softens you. you yeah. like, okay, let me chill yeah. and figure out what I can yeah. change. Right. Right. But I dare to say there may have been a time in your mm-hmm. life where it was like, I ain't got time to play with y'all right. and lose. I right. got stuff to do. Got stuff to do. And yeah. I mean, and you, you're right. I think you make choices. Uh, there's definitely been choices that I've made in, in what I believe to be for the greater good. Um, but I do think that what mentorship does for you is explains or provides perspective on how you can do multiple things at the same time. And I think that that's also comes with, to some extent, with age, wisdom, whatever. Um, and it's also why I think right around the time that I turned 30, I really had, I, I really decided that there had to be a space in my life where I appreciated my rest and my time and that I built that into the model of success for me, which is why now everybody's like, Dewana will leave and go to another country in a second. You're absolutely correct. Right. You t- I'm talking about you <laughs> be Absolutely out. correct. And, and feel no way sad about it because we only, as far as I know, other than I believe, you know, we get we, we get a life with the Lord. But this, as far as I know, this is the only life we get. So I'm not about to spend you know, a minute of it really not doing anything that I want to. Now, I want to make my, I want the space to make the same mistakes others have made. I want uh, to be able to uh, support my family, support my community, but I want to live. Yeah. And I want to live to the best of, you know, whatever it is that I believe, you know, for myself. And so I think that for me, living my best life means. You know, being super, super aware of how my work and my presence impacts my community and provides opportunity. It is seeing the world. I consider myself to be a global citizen. It's making sure my family is good. Um, you know, it 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 is really, and really outside of that, you know, uh, as a 
you know, as a human, you know, even just kind of looking at what's going on in the world right now, I'm easily, I'm kind of, you know, I'm easily touched by different things. And so I have to remind myself, you can't do it all. You know, you can't be over overseas for this. You can't be in, you know, this city, but the things that I can do and that I can put my hands around, I want to do them well and with excellence. And I, again, I think that's something that was sort of driven into us as young people, particularly in church and at, you know, at my home, you know, if you're going to do something, do it, do it well. Now, when you went to high school and then college, Mm -hmm. you know, what type of student were you? Were you in the band? Did you do all of that? And then (laughs) also, you know, how did you start developing, you know, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do it, that that pathway. Because I think I feel like high school (laughs) and college age is just so golden, you know, as far as deciding what you ain't going to (laughs) do or deciding what you are. High school was cool. Honestly, my my parents told us that high school and college was your job. Right. Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, for them to be young parents, and and again, this is 2020, right? Because at that time, I'm like, oh, I ain't thinking nothing about that. <laughs> but you know, my parents had me very young. They were married at 22, and they had me at 23. I can't even imagine it, right? And so yeah. that means that they were 35, you know, 40 with a with a whole 15 year old. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so now that I think look back, I'm like, man, they were really, you know, mature, mature for the, you know, and, a, yeah. and not just my parents, a lot of that generation. Yeah. But I think about, um, so in high school and college, you know, they were very adamant on saying, this is your job. This is, the, you know, you don't, they didn't necessarily always want me to get a job, but they said, this is the thing that you should be focused on. Right. Right. But I, I, I liked money even then. So I yeah. wanted to, I'm like, I'm gonna have to do school and have a job, you know, those kinds of things. And so, um, and honestly, I get bored easy, even now, right? And so I'm a kind of person I like, I've always liked to keep busy. Okay. So I was a good student. Um, you know, sometimes I was an A student. Sometimes I was a B student. Um, uh, they, My parents did require excellence in education. However, if you made a bad grade, it wasn't like the end of the world. But you, right. it, it needed to be from a bad to a, a good grade in, in one sitting, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, um, and one thing I think that they also instilled, uh, which is this idea of like exploration, Right. And I, I didn't realize that that wasn't something that was a normal experience for a lot of people until I got probably to college and to some extent in high school. But we would take trips. And again, my parents didn't, you know, they weren't, you know, rich or anything like that. But they would we would get in that car and we go we going to go to, you know, somewhere, you yeah. know. Uh, and so that really colored my curiosity, you know, for them to have been my dad and for them. You know, for them to be very, very heavy in um, faith and in ministry, I also thought it was really cool that they were not afraid for me to learn new things and different things. So even if I would ask a question about or, you know, I'm like, oh, I got a friend that's, you know, Muslim or I got a friend that's this. You know, it wasn't like a, oh, you don't right, need to, you know what I mean? Right. You know, that kind of thing. It was a, okay, remember who you are, but okay, you know, you, yeah. learning something wasn't, or having a friend, like that That didn't present a, a fear, like they didn't put a fear or a stigma on on that or yeah. any kind of, you know, you know, I went to college in Berea, which is in Kentucky, you know, 
I knew from day one I was never going to go to school in Alabama. That was just my thing. I wanted to go away. And they didn't want me to. They mm-hmm. were all for me to go away. And so I think that kind of allowed me to be a little different. My dad and I were very close and still are. So that also kind of colored my, you know, thought process on like dating and different things, even in high school. I just knew nobody was serious. So why not everybody? Let's just be friends. Like yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even <laughs> like, expecting, I know you, you know what I'm serious. saying? You know, yeah. I know you're not, so I'm not even finna stress, you know, like I don't have to like none of y'all. I don't, you know, it's not a thing, you know? Yeah. And so I think when you have, that and my dad was very adamant. Like I remember my dad told me, he said, "Listen, a lie ain't nothing for a man to tell." Like I remember him telling me at <laughs> right. ten. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like so. Yeah. So these are things that he would tell me. You know, game he would give me that. Well, they, you know, just scoop. Um, that you would think, okay, why is he even? You know, but right. me and my dad were like, and are still super, super close. And so I tell people, my mom really taught me how to be. You know, a woman, what to look for, how to care for myself, all of those things, and really how to, you know, appreciate things and how to support a home, you know, those kinds of things. But my dad really taught me how to be a lady, which is how to be treated as such, you know, how to look out for yourself. And, you know, and he's, and now in this iteration of life, my mom and my dad are teaching me different things. You know, I'm watching my mom evolve as a, you know, a, a, a more, you know, an older version of herself where now that she doesn't have kids, you know, that she's taking care of every single day, all of her other uh, superpowers, she's getting to do those things. And I'm like, wow, my mom literally, like, we both love, Isn't you know, it's crazy. Are they retired? Well, she, my dad is still full-time ministry. My dad is also over the chaplain's program for Jefferson County. So all of the chaplains for the sheriff's department, he manages that. The and only he's very reason active. I have, because, it, <laughs> well, my parents stay active, but they're mm-hmm. retired. But they're not retired, though. I no. couldn't agree more yeah. watching them now yeah. in a new it's crazy. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, what is, sit down, you know, why is you doing all of that? But then, <laughs> And then you wonder, right, like, where right. are you? Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And, but she, again, it, it, it's not surprising. I think it's just more so like, I have a different understanding because I'm older yeah. of what I'm seeing now. Like, I can, there are things that now, uh, we love, my mom and I both love to decorate interior design, stuff like that. But my mom's been doing that our homes were, you know, just immaculate no matter where we lived. And I tell people all the time, like, I never had a kid's room. Which and by kids, I mean you know how people had like posters and, yeah. and we had nah, real furniture. Was... I had a queen bed <laughs> yeah. at nine. Like you know, yeah. like I, I'm like I had real. And to this day, it's like don't touch my. We had, I have nieces and nephews, and they, you know, my brother, had, uh, his kids, and uh, they're young. You know, they're nine, ten. You know, uh, one is I think thirteen, but. My mom has real stuff in this house. And you would think, and I'd be like, oh my God, they're going to throw something. She's like, no, they know how to get in here and sit down. <laughs> they know not to touch, you know? <laughs> and so, and so at, at her house, it, it wasn't no room for the kids. No, you sat down and you didn't touch nothing. And so I'm like, okay, well, now in my house, no, everybody can you be You know what you it is. Down, so, so That's like, right. You so know how to behave. Right, you know. And they'd be like, TT, we come, okay. So, well, you know where to go and what to do at TT house too. So it is, um, it's just, you know, and I think my mom, she really did have, the uh she's she's so brilliant in so many ways but of course she was still that that consummate educator yeah right and she still is a substitute teacher now um uh, at cornerstone and uh, and some other schools but she she's a lifelong educator and i think that that uh now she's i really tell her she's a 
a social media personality her own self. I'm like, she do Facebook is better than I do, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> I told her I'm gonna give her a contract to write my, my my media. But she is, you know, and I love that, and it gives me also something to look forward to because I'm like, you know, you can whatever this capacity and how I'm operating now, there's still a whole nother level and many levels, right? And so I love being able to learn that from looking at them as they matriculate, you know, um, they're celebrated 40 years of marriage uh, two years ago. And so we took I took them to Egypt uh, with friends uh, because that now that I get to uh, be in a place where I can, you know, they gave me the world, I want them to see the world, you know, mm-hmm. so we are... Really spinning, and so I think it's just it's just all of those things where, um, as I think about the the collective, and by the collective I mean just our global community. Um, my favorite scripture is the scripture that says, "The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof." Mm. And for some reason, it just makes me feel like all of this belongs to me. So what? It ain't nowhere I can't go. It's nowhere I'm not. You know where I'm not supposed to be. It all it all belongs to me. <laughs> so yeah. I want to see it. You know, yeah. and so if I got to see it, you know, for two minutes, or you know, I get to go and experience it for two weeks or two months, whatever. That is how I keep myself grounded. You know, and and remembering that I'm a part of something larger than myself. How can people follow you on social media? Where is <laughs> your favorite hangout, or is there any? Yeah. You know, um. I promise you, I'm not the best on social media. Now, I'm probably the 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 most present on Instagram. So my uh, IG is I am Dewana on there, and then of course Woke Vote and my entities. We have you know Woke Vote has its page, and we do a lot of uh, educational stuff and outreach and stuff on there. So that's where you're gonna find me the most socially online. Is is definitely on Instagram. Um, Facebook, it, 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 I try, but I can't keep up uh, all the time. You get one one site from me. One. Okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Instagram is where you're going to find me. In terms of hanging out in the city. Um, I didn't ask that. Oh, I thought you were saying where you can find of, me. I thought no, you, I was okay. just talking just about social. Oh, social. yeah, yeah, on social. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I was going to say. And you how know. can and, and um, the – it's bcri.org. Yeah, I was okay. going to say for our, for our work at the Civil Rights Institute, it's www.bcri.org. Uh, we also are BHAM Civil Rights on um, social, okay. and we're definitely on all the social, and you can follow that work, uh, and, and we're just doing some exciting things over at the Civil Rights Institute as well. Hi, it's Iva, the host of Intravenous. And I would like to encourage my friends and listeners to volunteer in your local schools. In particular, reading is very important. So to sign up for our students in Birmingham, go to the BehamCitySchools.org website, navigate to the Volunteer drop-down tab on the right, and sign up today. What's your favorite charity other than the BCRI? And other or than Woke Vote. Vote. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a toss-up between Autism Speaks, because my nephew has autism, and an organization called Until Freedom, who does um, activations around social justice issues around the country. Well, if you don't answer one of these questions, you're going to be making a donation. Okay. And... Um, 
I usually get one out of folk. I'm just telling you <laughs> okay. But I don't know. They, they, they're easy to me, and I, I really think you're going to get through it. Oh, Lord. Okay. Before I do this, one of the questions I'm not going to ask is, I always ask people, Civil Rights Institute or Negro League Museum, hmm. that's always an either or. You never do that, but I every time... And you, the Civil Rights Institute overwhelmingly <laughs> <laughs> gets the most votes. Well, but I'm not going to choose think, that one. Yeah, but I just wanted yeah. you to know that. That's funny. That we. That's we, funny. And you know, I Frank is to... over there now, and Frank and I have a good relationship. So that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's hilarious. So let's start with the season. And by the time you answer this, um, the game will be over, so we're going to see what your prediction is. Okay. Alabama State or Alabama A&M? State. State. Regents Park or Rickwood Field? Rickwood. Botanical Gardens or Railroad Park? Botanical Gardens. Protective Stadium or Legacy Arena? Is that not the same thing? Mm-mm. Oh, Legacy Protect- Arena is the uh, okay. Yeah, uh, protective legacy, legacy. Okay. Crossplex or Legion Field? Mm, Crossplex. Biggie or Tupac? Tupac. Michael Jackson or Prince? Prince. Sloss Furnace or Vulcan Park? Vulcan. Birmingham Zoo or McWayne Science Center? McWayne. Birmingham Barons or Birmingham Squadron? Ooh, Squadron. Birmingham Legion or Birmingham Stallions? Legion. Alabama Auburn? Alabama. Roll Tide. Roll. iPhone or Android? iPhone all day. <laughs> Ooh, the look on your face. Right, the, the idea of calling me an uh, Android. What? What's your zodiac sign? I'm a Pisces. What what does that? I have absolutely no. Me, Let me though, t- I'm a I Capricorn, mean, but I, I don't yeah. know what it means. What but I'm told is that I'm we're a classic one. Well, and people, t- I think th- I'm told that Pisces are you know um, Philly. You know, they 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 are concerned about everybody. Um, that they're typically creative. You know um, that kind of thing. But okay. I also hear that they're like you know whimsical and I don't think I'm a whimsical person so I'm like uh-huh. I don't know but my best friend is into all of that kind of stuff and I just be, I barely know I'm a Pisces so <laughs> you barely even know you a Pisces now yeah. um let's see here what's your favorite color mm. black favorite holiday mm. My favorite holiday, you know, for the culture, I really want to say Juneteenth. Um, <laughs> but as a family, I'm going to say Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Do you cook? I absolutely cook. What's your, tell me a throw down meal. So probably when I really think I'm doing something, I'm going to fry some pork chops. I'm going to do um, some collard greens from scratch. Thank you very much. Um, but I do do them now with turkey and not pork. I'm trying to be better, even though I'm having pork chops, right? Um, <laughs> I'm you not going to so, put pork in my, you know, right, I'm in not, my I mean, greens. Come on now. You know, got to <laughs> stop it somewhere. 
probably some fried <laughs> potatoes. Uh, I do something called stuffing muffins because I don't like traditional stuffing, but I do like corn muffins. And so I make uh, what would traditionally be a stuffing with sausage and all of that in it, but I make the muffins. And so that's when I really think I'm doing you something. Think doing you know what I mean? And I might make a homemade uh, pound cake to go with it. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, your favorite movie? Ooh, that's so hard. I'm a movie person. I'm movie okay. more than TV. Um, oof, that is hard. Or just name a favorite. Um, one of yeah, one of my favorites is Love Jones. Okay. Um, and Higher Learning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite pair of Jordans? Fun story. I have never owned a pair of Jordans until it's about two years ago when a friend of mine, I told a friend that I had never owned a pair of Jordans and he got me a pair for Christmas. I can't tell you what kind they are. I can tell you that they cute. They look right. good on my feet. <laughs> but I have been a Puma, you know, Blue Balance girl. I don't, a Vans girl. You know, I didn't, I really, uh, my brothers and them had their kind of tennis shoe you can yeah. think of, but I never, I wasn't a tennis shoe girl growing up and I, you know, now I'm a tennis shoe girl by by trade of going and being on these streets and activating, you know, for justice. But uh, I can't tell you what they are, but they I, I appreciate Emil. Shout out Emil for giving me my first <laughs> pair of Jordans literally two years ago. <laughs> What's your favorite NBA team? Ooh, I follow coaches and players. Okay. So I will say that for the longest until he started showing his – Behind, I was a, a a huge fan of Phil Jackson, but I can't, you know, I I got to put him down to the side. So I'm now following Doc um, Doc Rivers, and I'm following, um, uh, oh gosh, the coach of um, uh, over in Oakland, um, Steph Curry's team. Oh, I can't think oh, of, oh, Steve uh, Kerr. Steve Kerr. Mm. I just think in terms of his. He's a great coach and he's a great humanitarian, and I like that. Uh, I I know Steph and some others, so I I, I root for them when they're when they're playing. So um, that I really follow coaches and, and players more than I do teams. Yeah. What about NFL? I have really nothing to say now. You know, I'm I'm following oh, Prime and where he go. <laughs> okay. But, um, you know, yeah, definitely. I'm more of a, a college football girl, and gotcha. uh, so yeah. If you could have any superpower. What would it be? What would you choose? Uh, probably. Ooh, um, whatever my superpower would be, I want it to be able to help people. But I think I was just going to sit here and say, I was like, yeah. it can't be to save the I world. Know, it can't you know, be world like peace. You know, something like that. But. You know, just, you know, probably selfishly, I love to fly just because I like to go. I want to get where I'm going, you know, yeah. uh, if I ain't have to sit on a plane, you know, something like that. Uh, probably, yeah, probably, probably the ability to, to, but the superpower, I really do think that the superpower should be in, in service of other folks. So maybe. No, the, I'm going you know. sure to say in the future, <laughs> selfish superpower. My selfish superpower would be whatever makes me the most money. Uh, <laughs> Flying gonna make right, you some you cash. Know, I guess, yeah, you know, which one I've won. Now, you've made clearly some wonderful life choices. But if you could go back in time, pick an age, any mm-hmm. age, it could be yesterday. Tell me what age you go to and tell me what advice you would give that younger self. 
Mm. Actually, I thought about this and in, in, in I share it with students. When I was turning 30, uh, it was the, the Dickens has a book that says it was the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, I, I thought I was professionally sort of at the top of my career. I had just gotten finished um, working on Barack Obama's second campaign. I had worked on his inauguration, the second inauguration in 2013. This was 2013 at the time. And I was living in D.C. And you would think, you know, and, and for the first time I wanted to actually go into the administration. And now in 2008 when I worked on the campaign and all of that, I always knew I was coming back to Birmingham. It was always my thought, let me go learn, figure out what I, what I can learn and come back and do what I got to do for my city. That's just mm-hmm. where I was. But after that second round, I really wanted the opportunity to serve. And everybody was telling me, oh, you, you are shooing. You gonna, they got you. you. You don't even got to worry about it. You're going straight into the White House. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know. Yeah. So I really didn't even think about it. Inaugura- uh, election happens in November 2012. The inauguration, we do all of that work. That's in January. February, I had no job. Literally no job. February and March, going into March. And I felt like... The biggest walking, you know, fool, honestly, because I'm yeah. like, and I felt ashamed because I'm like, how do I tell people that I'm, you know, I literally have gone from doing this to I can't get a job. Like, I literally could not, Every nothing was coming through. And I had uh, applied for a role for, to be an executive director of this run, wonderful organization in, in New York. Now, let me tell you something. I never in a day of my life wanted to live in New York. To this day, I've never wanted to live in New York. But um, it was an opportunity that I found out about. The organization, they asked me to come and, you know, uh, and they offered me the job, you know, and I just remember thinking, I would go to New York and the money that they were paying at the time, I'm like, I'm a, I don't even know how I'm going <laughs> to make it, but at least I got a job, you know, and, yeah. and I was coming back, I was riding the mega bus, I had rode the mega bus to go up there and I was riding the mega bus back to DC and as I was coming back and I had already, I told them tentatively I would take the job and and I just, I was not at peace with it at all. Um, and, but I just felt like that's what I had to do. And I was riding, and on the back of us, I heard my dad in my ear. And this is a, a, a really a guiding principle that I've taken. Um, but he said, we negotiate nothing out of fear. And I realized that I was taking, I was about to do all of this because I truly just didn't have any idea. I was afraid and I didn't want to be a failure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I didn't realize how much pressure I had put on myself to, I'm like, everybody at home expects me to do, you know, right. these things. And, and, and I called them back when I got home and I said, I'm sorry, I can't come. And I was, I was like, what am I, what am I doing? And, um, it, so that was a, that was a, a Friday. The weekend happens on Sunday. I get a call from a colleague and she says, Hey, it's a, uh, the Barack, o- Barack Obama and his team want to do a dinner with folk who had been on the campaign, folk who've been a part of both administration, uh, both uh, uh, campaigns and elections, and want to talk about what this next term of his presidency is going to look like. And your name is on the list. They want you to be there. It's only going to be about 40 to 50 people there. And I'm like, oh, my God, keep in mind I have no job. I don't have any money. I'm living in D.C. I am going through my savings, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. I'm going to be there. Not even thinking in my mind that my birthday is Tuesday, the day that this thing is going to happen. 
not even realizing, honestly, that it's my 30th birthday that's going to be Tuesday. And all I could think of is, how do I have enough money to get my hair done, a dress, and a cap to get out of the house? So I decide, you know, I'm going to wear something in my closet. I, I can come up with something. I got to get this hair done, though, and I'm going to ride the bus there, and I'm going to get a cab home to be safe. Uh-huh. And I think I had, and I tell my students, I think I had maybe like $23 um, before I was breaking down and having to call my mom and dad or something. And got there uh, to that dinner, and I was sitting at a table with a billionaire. Um, I was also sitting at the table with individuals who were like industry giants. And I literally could not understand why I was in this room, right? <laughs> I was like, what is happening? It was such a crazy thing because I'm like, I... Can barely afford to be here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and they talking to me like I'm a colleague. And I'm like, how crazy can life be right at the same time? And the president comes out and he's having a conversation. And then they ask if people want to have a chance to ask a question. And I remember my mom saying something, which is, if you in the room, be in the room. Right. If you, you know, and so I'm like, okay, let me ask just something just to. That sounds so mean. You know, right. <laughs> you, know, you in the room, you in the room. The room right. And so, and I was one of the youngest people in there, you know. And so I thought, okay, I should say something on behalf of, of my age group. You know right. what I'm saying? Don't I? So I asked him, I said, well, how do you, you know, given everything that's going on, how do you expect to maintain um, the interest level, particularly of young people during this second um uh, you know, you don't have an election anymore. You don't have, this is really going to be more of a policy-driven, you know, uh, time frame. How are you going to keep the momentum going? And he looked at me, he said, like, because of people like you, you the Barack Obama, where you from, right? And I was like, whoa, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, he was like, he was like what's your work, you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, okay. You know, he was like, also, I, I heard it's your birthday. I said, I'm sorry, what? You know what I'm saying? And Barack Obama sung me happy birthday that night. Keep in mind, I had how many dollars? 23. And I'm looking at him, right, okay? And so... But your hair was you know, done. But my hair was laid, baby. I got, the, I got the picture to prove it. And so he comes, and I noticed that they had an empty seat at each table. And I was wondering what that was, but the model of it, which I thought was a brilliant model, is that he spent, he would come and sit at each table, and he would spend a certain amount of time, and then he would go to table, to a different table. So he comes to the to our table. Again, I'm sitting next to a billionaire who has helped fund, you know, work. I'm sitting next to industry giants, people who've done things, you know, f- that I can't even imagine even now. He starts his conversation was like, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? Now, do want to tell me more about what's going on? We have, we the, the photo shows and the video shows, we carried on so bad for them 10 minutes that the other people at the table didn't even get a chance to talk. So much so that when he got up, he was like, I guess I might have to come back because we, we literally dominated. <laughs> right, right, right. And I went home in the cab thinking to myself, <laughs> you just don't know. You know, and the next day, Cory Booker called me, Senator Cory Booker now, and he said, I'm running for Senate. I need you on my team. Will you come to New Jersey to help run our field program? I had met him as a surrogate on Barack Obama's campaign months and months ago. And I remember him saying, he's like, hey, if I decide to do this, I'm going to call you. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. That's just the right? convo. He yeah, was such yeah. a nice guy. You know, Cory Booker's such a nice guy. He called me on my cell phone personally and said, hey, I need you. Can you be here by Friday? I'm trying to tell you, Friday, the previous Friday, I had no job. I'm going to New York and for fearful. a job. I am fearful. 
I go home. I make a decision. I'm not going to negotiate it out of fear, but I'm still scared. <laughs> Sunday, I get a call. Tuesday, I get a birthday, and I get an unforgettable moment of realizing that as long as you are in the room, it really doesn't matter what your situation. Like, you exist and are as important as anybody else that's in your room, this room. The next day I get this phone call, Friday I got a job, and 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 we made him Senator Cory Booker four months later, right? So I think, you know, what I told myself then and what I tell myself now and what I would share with anybody is we negotiate nothing out of fear. You know, you have to understand that life is going to do what it's going to do, um, lean into the valleys, you know, climb the mountains, you know, and I think that's – that at 30 I learned that and that really did that was a pivotal moment for me and I've been sort of leaning and climbing ever since <laughs> whatever it is yeah now that we know mm-hmm. who this dynamo <laughs> is leading one of the most important organizations, facilities, museums, whatever you want to fill that blank in with. Now that we know who she is, (laughs) tell us what to expect. Like from a, this is happening soon, short term, mid range and long range plans for the Civil Rights Institute. Yeah. You know, I never saw this. Honestly, and there are other people who are like, it makes perfect sense. And I'm it like, made all the sense in the world to me. Never thought about it, you know, at all. Um, but the Civil Rights Institute, I mean, the mission, first of all, is for us to preserve the history and the legacy of what happened specifically in Birmingham during the Civil Rights Movement. And then second, the second component of that mission is to help people to have and understand the relevance between human rights campaigns and the way in which um, the strategy and all of that and apply that to situations now, whether that's, you know, how you conflict resolution, whether that is education equity, whether that is just showing up up on behalf of people. How do we make this civil rights legacy um, relevant in the current context of the pursuit of justice and human dignity? And, you know, I think that particularly now, Uh, with the state of our country and really in our world, but with the attack on um, our history and our culture, um, you know, they call it critical race theory. I'm like, uh, okay, people love to use a language that makes sense or a narrative that makes sense to them, but it's still the erasure of a culture. It's the erasure. You're telling me that my history in this country does not... um, have a place. And that is why places like the Institute is so important because if we don't preserve our legacy and our history and our, and our language and our, you know, um, and, and our resources and all the things that we know to, to have been true about our experience in this country and even before this country, um, people will tell you anything. Right. And so, and, and so I think that what our goal has been since I've been there, so our, our immediate goals were around stabilizing the Institute in terms of making sure that, number one, our our public programming was second to none. You know, I think that the 
the thing that has uh, made this, the BCRI stand out over the over its years has been um, its programming, has been uh, its research. It has been the way it has stood as um, a national and international thought partner around um, concepts around social justice and human rights and human dignity. I think for a minute there was a moment where we kind of forgot, and I mean, and when I say we, I mean the city, I mean the state, I mean the region, even the nation, forgot who the BCRI is and, and how we were situated. And so my ultimate goal was to remind people who we are mm-hmm. and to give us some uh, some pride again in our cultural institution and to reestablish us as that thought partner and that credible um, and verifiable thought partner. And I believe we've done that and we're doing that even more every day. And so that is a part of our current strategy and our ongoing strategy to increase um, our capacity as it relates to being that thought partner, that research facility um, that people can come to. The second thing is, um, and so because of that programming um, and being that thought partner, that our educational curriculum was very important. And so expanding our outreach into more schools, more school systems. Uh, We do a lot of work internationally with international school partners and and things of that nature. And so we want to continue to do that, but we wanted to scale it out, particularly given the concepts that are happening and the the social constructs that are happening. But lastly, we need to endow, you know, and this is really really just at the core of, of, of so many of our issues, particularly in communities of color, we have some of the most brilliant, some of the most active, some of the most important institutions, and they are struggling financially because they don't have endowments. Right. right. So when COVID hit, so many of our spaces, including the BCRI, was impacted at an exponential rate. Right. Because we didn't have reserves. We don't we're, we're you know, we didn't have um, the kind of resources that our counterparts may have had that it didn't matter that their doors were closed for over a year and a half. Right. Because they had somebody who was still going to write a check for twenty five thousand dollars to make sure that that, you know, whatever needed to happen. And so I was like, you know, I, so what is our ultimate work? Our ultimate work is to ensure that the BCRI is here for another 30 years, creating an endowment, expanding our capacity, increasing our footprint beyond just the Civil Rights District, but also preserving the history and the unique history in all 99 of our neighborhoods. And so I say that to say, I remember we were having a conversation about a year ago. As we are looking at even, you know, there's no longer a West End High School. West End had a significant civil rights history, if you know anything about that. But now the school's not there. If you weren't born during the age of a West End high school being there, you don't even know it existed. So what's now happened to that history? Hayes has a a, a long-standing history, and most of their, you know, alumni are telling us, like, hey, can y'all help us preserve our our history? Because when most of us cease, it's going to be gone. And so I thought about, you know, I thought a lot about that, and I said, you know, it's not just the mission speaks to the preservation of our stories of oral histories every one of our communities has something that that we need to i mean carrie tuggle all these different things you know do people really understand who carrie tuggle was i mean this lady was fearless right Right, right. i mean she was about educating black folk at a time when that was not the thing right and she was getting resources to do it she started a school they stayed there right um and so and she did that in like 1910 14 you know i mean like these are this is these are people who were fearless you know and i think um it does something for community pride when you know those stories yeah right and it does something when you don't 
<laughs> you know, and so I think the next phase of the Institute is really helping restore, protect, uh, and enlighten on the collective story um, that is the 99 neighborhoods and, and the the history that we have, you know, not just in the in the urban court, you know, and the civil rights district, obviously, with 16th Street and A.G. Gaston Hotel and all the things that happened in the urban court, those are significant things and significant moments. And we have those things um, covered right now. You know, we, we, we know that they're going to be there. We hope we're going to continue to raise money. But what happens when we lose conversations about our omen? Do you remember omen? Does anybody remember? It's omen, funny you right? say that. You I know? was like, I was <laughs> you know? going to bring up right. omen you because know? that's where my parents right. were. It's gone, it's but gone. that's where but everybody came from. Listen, yeah. And Miss Odessa, who helped to start that's the right. Civil Rights Institute, was a was teacher, a teacher at there omen. and she at taught Parker, my parents. right? Right. Yeah. And so again, and there is a small building that still has some of the history from omen uh, on the UAB campus. However, you know. We realize that if we don't take the, the the precaution and the steps now, it's going to get harder to preserve the, these legacies because nobody will be here to tell us about them, right? right. So we're really the next, you know, the the longer step for us is increasing our footprint into district wide. I'm sorry, uh, mm-hmm. district wide, and so that will allow us to do more as it relates to educating our um, educating our communities on. Um, the history of their community, as well as um, museum arts and storytelling and curation, that is a that is a skill set, and a lot of people um, don't realize it's something to to, to go into, right. and we need professionals in this space. And so, one of the things that I truly believe, and our team truly believes, is that as we create these opportunities to be more proximate to communities, um, we also can utilize these opportunities to teach young people and individuals who want to go or see this as a new opportunity to teach them the trade so that we're creating a pipeline of these professionals so that we can still have somebody working in the BCRI yeah. in 30 years, right? And so it's just this Barry longer... can't be there forever. Right, Mr. <laughs> and I listen, I, if I could get me... Listen, if I could clone me about five more Mr. Berries, I tell you, we could take over the world. Mr. Barry McNeely, our, our uh, historical content expert, I mean, he's just, you know... The, the some of the stuff he just know I'm like Mr. Barry I can listen to him talk all day but we have you know for for every Mr. Barry that he's teaching our legacy students you know who go through our program for the Mr. Waynes who's the head of our archives who've been there the whole 30 years that the institute has been open and can tell you you know oh we have a artifact from 19 you know whatever it is we need the next 10 of them yeah. right we need the next 10 of you know even myself right who's yeah. going to come in and so i am a person who believes in radical secession planning we don't believe in that as a community we really should, we really should. but it is how legacies and wealth and everything else is established by having a radical secession plan having the vision of knowing I want to know who the who the person for you who who's coming after me four decades from now, right. right? And I if I had what's real cool and what really is power is to be able to handpick that person that's gonna be here forty years from now when they when they're fourteen, and at forty four they come in, right? That's power. That's legacy. That's that to me is radical, and that is um, that's the, space the work, I'm trying right? That's to where we're trying to operate yeah. in, right? Yeah. And I think helping people to see that there's space for us all in that process. I am absolutely someone who believes in intergenerational leadership and the fact that our, we need our elders, we need our young people. I think that part of the reason why 
perhaps people hold on to certain things for so long is because we also need a redefinition and a radical definition around power. Because if you think that the only way you get power is to hold on to this thing or to not, you know, invest in this next group or to whatever, then you have a very limited scope of what power is. And I think that, you know, that is what interrupts an opportunity for a radical secession plan is when you have a very diminished understanding of power. And so we're really trying to help people reimagine power, recreate and re- uh, reestablish what power looks like, the constructs of power. Uh, we're really trying to do a lot around um, investing in that next generation of um, museum professionals, of storytellers, of historians, of archivists. Uh, we've got some great people. I mean, the team of Reeves of the world, but you... You know, and and, and Tim Maria and I are contemporaries, but when we're looking at our students that are coming behind us, you know, we're always trying to figure out, you know, who are the Cameron Thigpens of the world? Who are the Chad Freemans of the world? These are young folk who are in their early 20s, I want to know those next names. Right, you know, they're, they're the ones that I'm like, Yo, make sure that they had everything that we're at. If they, if I got a seat in the room, can they have a seat too? Yeah. Um, and that's how we. That's how that. That's really the long term goal of the institute: honoring and preserving, you know, our, our legacy. Absolutely making space for the wisdom of our elders and working with our foot soldiers, you know, working with, you know, the, the, the Bishop Woods of the world who are still here to give us gems and um, and, and others, you know, who, who are still here to give us those gems and identifying a place for their leadership and also solidifying a place for ours. Yeah. Remind people how to find the BCRI <laughs> and... Give us some shout outs. Absolutely. So we are um, right down in the heart of the Civil Rights District. We're on the corner of 16th Avenue and 6th Street. And so um, 16th Street and 6th Avenue. I always say that backwards. And we are, uh, our website is www.bcri.org. We are Behound Civil Rights on everything social. Please, please become a member because you, our membership is how you really get an opportunity to see all of the programming that we do at the Institute. We send out quarterly emails. We're not somebody who blow you up, but we send out um, quarterly emails as it, as it requires. And you're able to find out all of the wonderful things that are coming into the city and that we're doing um, programmatically every single day. Shout out to our entire staff and our entire board who make the work at the Institute possible. Um, Again, you know, we, we really cannot do this without the dedication of our volunteers who work the Institute every single day. Um, uh, they are, well, I'm just grateful. Thank you again for the opportunity, Iva. This is a beautiful platform, giving people their flowers, allowing them to tell their own stories and not the stories being told on them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. To, to This in itself is a, is a preservation of culture, so we appreciate it. Not another word. Believe it or not, you're going to feel the need to do something, but hold it. I want to thank my dear friend, Dewana Thompson, for joining us. I want to thank you all for listening. As always, a huge shout out to Creed 63, Urban Ham dot com and urbanham.news support the civil rights institute 
and a form and a future mayor of Birmingham, <laughs> Dewana Thompson. This podcast has been brought to you by Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. <laughs>